Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. They have to understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, and the Bernabeu blinks it back! I haven't, I haven't got a problem with soccer, to be fair. Football. Oh, what a start! All what I can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything secret. Welcome to House of Champions. YouTube friends, dropping your comments and questions in that chat to make sure you hammer the like and subscribe buttons as we get set for the Europa League draw. And let's talk also with the main man, Fabrizio Romano. Who's in the house tonight? Oh yeah, my co-host James Benj is here. And we also have the hardest working and most active man on the internet right now. He seems to be the most traveled man on the internet right now, Fabrizio <laughs> Romano. Fab, how you doing, buddy? Oh, great. All great, my friend. Thank you. And always a pleasure to be here. Big shout out to Fabrizio for joining us. Big shout out to James Bench for joining us. We're getting set for the Europa League draw, which is about to take place. We will be updating you as that draw is taking place. If we see a big tie, we're going to let you know, obviously, live. But we will also be getting into deep detail of the draw um, a little bit later on in the show. But before we do get into it, I want to run through some of the results from last night, Fabrizio, because Italian teams in Europe have had... A lot of success. Now, also includes Europa League. So, Juventus getting a 3-0 victory yesterday, going through 4-1 in aggregate. Leverkusen Monaco was an absolute barnstormer of a game, 5-5, and Leverkusen going through. Manchester United with a good, good win against Barcelona, going through by four goals, three on aggregate. Union Berlin, what a story. Can't wait to talk to James Bend about Union Berlin's story there. Dramatic rise all the way through the leagues into Europa League and continuing this fine success. Roma go through, winning by two goals to nil, 2-1 on aggregate. Ren, unbelievable own goal, made a very close game in the end. Uh, Shakhtar going through on penalty kicks. PSV Eindhoven made it close, but in the end went out to Sevilla, three goals to two. And Sporting Lisbon, 5-1 on aggregate. So let's get into it. James Bench, before I say hello to you, I'm going to ask you, Fabrizio, the Italian teams, not just the Champions League, but also in Europa League, doing very well. Yes, I'm very surprised. More in the Champions League, honestly, because in Europa League, I was expecting uh, Roma, Lazio, and of course also Juventus with Angel Di Maria, who was absolutely fantastic yeah. yesterday night. He scored an incredible goal, but this hat-trick and his impact has been really incredible. But I'm really surprised of the Champions League results. It was a really difficult one for Milan with Tottenham, and they were absolutely perfect. And they also had the chance to score the second and maybe the third goal with uh, Malik Cho and with the Kettler. Also Inter with Porto, really difficult game, tough game, but they were able to win in the final minutes with Romero Lukaku back to scoring goals at San Siro and also uh, we have to mention Napoli they are doing incredible in Serie A incredible in the Champions League and there is a special feeling around the city around the team that they can really do the double this season they they will never mention that in public but they really feel they have something special in their hands this season so it's really incredible to see how Italian clubs are performing uh, honestly I'm really surprised by Inter and Milan but I'm sure that the second leg is going to be really difficult really tough so we enjoy this first part but the second what be easy James, before we get into, obviously, chatting about the rumours and the latest transfers, I want to get your opinion on Manchester United game against Barcelona. An overall thought on the Europa League process itself. There was a few shocks there. There were a few guarantees to go through. But what was your overall thoughts? 
Yeah, I mean, this is a, I think the changes UEFA have made have made for a really fantastic competition. I've really enjoyed, um, you know, the, the, the fact that we get these high profile matches between the teams, some of the teams that fall out of the Champions League early on, that there's a real reward for winning your group as well. Um, obviously, the uh, the Manchester United-Barcelona tie was fantastic, and I'll, I'll hit on that in a second. Just, first of all, the tie of the round, Monaco against Leverkusen, what a game, and two fantastic young squads there. Um, you know, Ian, you know how much I love Florian Witz. I think he's one of the best young players in the world, and this is going to give him a real platform. But yes, I think with Manchester United-Barcelona, you really, as good as a result as it was for Manchester United, this really has you looking at the Barcelona perspective I said this last night, they've spent 150 million euros to get this team back to where they, they believe it belongs in Europe. The sum total of that is two wins against Victoria Pulsen. Now, I, I think they're a very good team, Barcelona, but they're also a team that, that kind of is going to draw, the nature of the draws are sometimes you get, you know, in your group, you get Inter Milan, you get Bayern Munich, and then you just happen to get Manchester United and you're you're straight up out of luck. And you know, in all against all of those teams, we've seen that Barcelona are a good side, but good sides sometimes get knocked out early on in Europe. And um, I think it really does paint a a grim light on you know on Barcelona remortgaging the club essentially to buy some footballers in the summer because it's not brought the European success they were expecting. Well, it's the perfect segue for me to now start to turn our attention to the transfer news and what's the latest with Barcelona. I mean, Fabrizio, how do Barcelona sort of correct this situation? I mean, domestically, they're doing very well. They're obviously challenged and sitting top of La Liga right now. We're seeing a lot of rumours with Lionel Messi and the fathers meeting. So what's the latest on the Barcelona transfer front? Yes, at the moment with Messi, from what I understand, it's still the same. Of course, we have many rumors because Jorge Messi was there in Barcelona. uh, And it's important to remind that they still have their house in Barcelona. So when they can, they travel to Barcelona. They still love the city. And uh, we know how special is the relationship between Messi and Barcelona. But at the moment, as Jorge Messi mentioned a few days ago, there is still no bid from Barca. And yesterday, Xavi, after the game, also mentioned the financial fair play. This is going to be very important to understand how much Barcelona can spend in the summer. It's on salaries, like in the case of Leo Messi, in case he will be a free agent but he's still negotiating with PSG over a new contract so let's keep an eye on that one but in general for Barcelona the financial fair play is going to be really important to understand how much they will be able to invest on the market I think they will go in the summer for a new midfielder this is the expectation for sure I expect them to go also for a new fullback and centre-back probably these two positions are crucial for Barcelona and maybe for a backup option in attacking position because of course there is Lewandowski who is doing great but they sold Memphis Depay to Atletico Madrid and they probably need a player in that position they are the Brazilian top talent or home Atletico Paranaense Vitor Roque who had a fantastic under 20 uh, competition a few, few weeks ago he's a player they really love but again it's about the financial fair play because it's not easy to spend maybe 50-60 million euros on a young boy in a difficult financial situation so in the next few months we will understand how much Barca will invest but for sure they will be ready to sign new players in the summer Can I just dive in more? there Vitor Roque is a top, top, top talent. And I know for a fact as well that a lot of Premier League clubs, including Arsenal, are uh, tracking yes. him. And that maybe is, the, is going to be the challenge, isn't it, for Barcelona Fab? That, you know, they want all these players, but the money they have at the moment, and it, it's going to be even tighter as their income is is squeezed a bit. So, yes. I mean, is it realistic to think that they can do another summer like like last one and, and overhaul the squad, pretty much. No, I, I think it's not that realistic. I agree with you. Also, on Vitor Roque, it's not easy to have the competition from these clubs because, as you mentioned, Arsenal are following him and many other clubs around Europe, they know how special is this boy. Also, for example, Barcelona wanted Hendrik, but they were not able, able to compete with Real Madrid or Paris Saint-Germain or Chelsea in that race. So it's not easy for them now to move on the market. It's not easy to plan for the summer transfer window because of the financial situation. But I'm sure that maybe in the summer, changing to a bit the situation, and having that clear, they will try to do something. I can say that would be the same as last summer where they signed many players and it was a big investment by, by Barcelona, but I'm sure that they want to do something and they will do something. Yeah, it's a really great point as well, James, because, you know, when you have success on the pitch, it always takes that pressure off you with the signing and the transfer. So, I mean, that tells you how gigantic that result was over two games against Manchester United getting knocked out for Barcelona. And also, you know, what happens now? How much pressure is on for them to spend more money? Do you make mistakes when you're spending money? Do you get desperate? If you have domestic success for La Liga, you'd have to say it's not a bad job and not a bad return for Barcelona with the squad of players that they have. Could they be doing more? <laughs> Absolutely. No, I mean, they should be doing more. 
Sorry, I know we're here to, to ask fab questions. I don't want to railroad this. Oh. But like, what would Barcelona have let, put together in other circumstances where Barcelona just go, we're not going to spend any money, we're not going to sell anything off, we'll trust La Masia and the players we already have here, and you know we won't add to the wage bill. We'll do that. What would Barcelona have been? Second, third in La Liga? Is it worth blowing up your entire future to win a title, you know, you would de- develop the team that was worthy of winning anyway, because you've got Pedri, you've got Gavi, you know, just, I think it's an absolutely, it was an absolutely stupid approach that they took. And this virtuous cycle is, uh, is very much grinding to a halt. Well, I guess in many ways, Fabrizio, you can touch upon this one. It also leans into the fact why there's so much pressure on the Super League, right? When you see teams like Barcelona needing more finances to come into the football club to basically compete with the best teams and the biggest teams in the world, I guess there's more pressure for a club like Barcelona to say, hey, let's introduce a new league where we can get more money coming in. Is that right, Fab? Yes, I think is this is for sure. They need fresh money. They need new money, and this is this is the situation. I think it's uh, what you mentioned is pretty clear. Uh, this is the reality. This is hundred uh, percent spot on. Also, it's important to to remind that, for example, I think in general in football for Barcelona in this case, but in general in football, also extending contracts of important player is not that easy now. It's not that easy because, for example, Barcelona were fighting with La Liga to register players like Araujo, Gavi, after they agreed on new contracts. The process is becoming really complicated because of the financial situation. So it's really, really difficult. Of course, as James mentioned, last summer they decided to invest crazy money in some moments. It was really complicated for them to manage everything. And they also wanted Bernardo Silva, for example, in the in the final weeks of the window. So imagine how many things they wanted to do. I think this summer will be a bit different, but the plan is to try to find some money and to invest again and again to give Xavi what he needs. So let's see, but for sure for Barcelona, the financial situation is the key point to understand what's going to happen in the summer. A big good morning to Vic out there. He says, Indica, Telemans, Gundogan, Turam, all on free transfers. You're welcome, Barcelona. Nice shout out there to Vic. Good morning to everybody out there. Thank you so much for jumping in the comments. I see you, Aaron. I see you there, mate. I see you, Omar. Thank you, everybody, for jumping in. Matt, good morning to you as well. Let's turn our attention to Josco Guardiol. Got the important goal against Manchester City, claiming, obviously, in the media, which was interesting comments from him, that it wouldn't be a bad idea for him to move on in his career and potentially follow Christopher Nkunku. Um, I guess my question to you would be, is that even realistic for someone like Vardio um, for him to move? Because I know Leipzig are desperate to keep a hold of this guy. Yes, and Marco Rossi after the game was very clear. He said he will stay here. I'm asking for uh, for this. He wants the player to stay. I think it's not going to be easy, honestly. Uh, I'm sure Leipzig will fight, uh, will fight to keep the player. They will fight to uh, maybe find a solution together with uh, with the player, but they already extended his contract after last summer. Last summer, it was almost done deal with Chelsea. Yeah? It was more than advanced. It was almost done to sign the player in summer in, at the end of summer 22 and then for Josko Gvardiol to join uh, in June 2023. So the deal was almost completed and then Leipzig were able to reach an agreement with the player to extend this contract and keep Josko Gvardiol at the club. Now, what I expect in any case, I don't know if it will happen this summer or next summer, but I expect Josko Gvardiol to be the most expensive centre-back ever because Leipzig are not oh. selling the player for 75-80 million. So I'm sure they want around 90-100 million euros for Josko Gvardiol, so it will be an historical transfer. And it's also important to mention that when big clubs from Premier League start to move, is not easy to keep the players because Chelsea are still following the situation and they have very good relationship with people close to the player. Man City are following the situation and he's always been a player appreciated by Man City. He was already in the list in July last summer but they decided to extend the contract of Nathan Ake but he was close to joining Chelsea so it was a domino of centre-backs and it didn't happen but he remains a player appreciated by Man City. I would keep an eye in general on Liverpool. I think they need something fresh in that position mm-hmm. and so Josko Gvardiol is a Liverpool fan as he stated a few weeks ago in an interview and I would keep an eye in general on Liverpool on centre-backs and let's see if it will be Josko Gvardiol or any other player but I think it will be an important summer for him so Leipzig will fight to keep him but it's not going to be easy Union Berlin against Union St. Guilla is the first team that's just been pulled out of the hat right there I think it was that pronunciation Oh, whatever. Gilois. Gilois. It sounds like a racing car driver. But the second game pulled out of the hat was Fenerbahce against Seville. And Juventus, Juventus Fabrizio, just have just been pulled out of yes. the hat. Let's, let's turn our attention real quickly to, um, obviously, what else is happening around the transfer window. We'll talk about Leipzig right now because I did see Jonathan David's name mentioned with potentially coming to Leipzig. It's not just about players going out. They also want to sign players too. 
Of course, of course, they want to continue with their idea, with their project. We know how big is the Red Bull project in general with Leipzig, with Salzburg. And so this is the idea. Jonathan David is a big target for Leipzig. They had contacts uh, on player side. They are also well informed on the price tag. And this is the big problem. I think it's re- going to be really difficult for Leipzig to sign Jonathan David because at the moment Lille want around 50, 60 million euros for him. And that would be really a big, big fee. So I think it's not going to be easy for Leipzig to sign a player. They had some meeting. They had some conversation. They want a player, but they know that it's not easy at all also because there are many clubs interested in strikers around Europe in general in Spain in Germany with Bayern in Italy probably Inter uh, Milan need to do something on attacking positions and of course in England with many clubs involved especially May United but many clubs involved in the strikers uh, race and so for Jonathan David I think it will be a big opportunity to move Leipzig want him but there are many clubs and so not easy at all. I, th- I find David's case really fascinating because he's obviously been on the, the radar of top clubs for years now. And um, oh, Bayer Leverkusen against Ferenc Farsh, I'm, I'm disappointed. I wanted uh, Verts in England. But um, David has, uh, you know, I mean, I've written, we've written before, Eric Ten Hag really likes the player. Like he's never been at the very top of Manchester United's shortlist. And I would imagine, Fab, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think he would be there right now because a lot of clubs at the highest level are very skeptical about, you know, do we want to go and and throw, like you say, 60 million euros at David, who is a, a super talented player, but one with, with only experience in the French league, there's, you know, he, he is at that, that upper level of the market. Um, and equally, you know, West Ham, Ever- Everton definitely came in, uh, yes. in, uh, was it in, in the summer at the final days of the summer window and said, we want to sign you. And they went, they went hard for him, but he just said, I don't want that because it's so hard for him to pick his sp- sweet spot between Lille, who are competing, you know, high high level in France, and then you know finding the right club to make the move onwards. It's uh, it's a really tough one for him. Sorry, I, I am completely distracted by the Europa League draw, where we have Arsenal against Sporting <laughs> Club de Portugal, which is a a classic draw. So I'll let you take over, Ian. But there's some Jonathan David for. <laughs> oh, oh, thanks very much, Martin. Please go fun. <laughs> I wanted to mention one thing about that. Uh, I agree with you. This is the reality. This is the reality that many clubs also have some doubts on spending maybe 50, 60 million on a striker who only has experience in Ligue 1 with Lille. But the last time it happened, it was Victor Zimen who joined <laughs> Napoli for uh, for 70 million euros package. And now he's worth probably double that, maybe 140, 50 million. So that was a good one. So I think Jonathan David is a very good player. And my feeling is that in the summer he will move. It will be time for him to to go. Matt Osman jumping in and saying Jonathan David is League One's top goal scorer. People don't talk enough about that one right there. I'm not sure if he is right now the top goal scorer. He is, but he I like is together you. with um, Mbappé. Oh. And, uh, yes, he is. He is. Uh, I thought Balogun was very close as well. And Balogun, yes, um, they are together. Yes. Let's uh, let's discuss Chelsea because there's a lot of comments coming in. People asking about Chelsea galore. Every time you come on for a beat, so the Chelsea fans certainly come out. Um, <laughs> I must ask you about Romelu Lukaku. Obviously, um, got a goal in uh, Europe this week, which was great for him. I'm sure great for his confidence as well. What's the the future look like for him? And then also give us the latest on Chelsea in general. I know there's a potential of N'Golo Kante signing this contract extension. Yes, for sure. The situation of Romelu Lukaku now uh, is, is an important one, but won't be decided now. It's gonna, not going to be February, March, April. It will be end of the season. Inter will meet with the player. The player wants to stay. Lukaku wants to stay at Inter. He wants to continue at Inter, 100%. So he hopes to be uh, in 100% uh, fit in the second part of the season to help Inter and then to be able to, to stay. My feeling is that at the end of the season, Inter and Chelsea will sit and will try to find a solution together. But at the moment, uh, we have to wait. It's something that will be decided at the end of the season. Uh, also, Inter Intersources guarantee that at the moment they're not even negotiating. They want to think about that at the end of the season. They want Romelu to feel uh, in a good shape and to be ready to help the team in the second part of the season, and then they will make a decision. And also on, on Chelsea, it's important to mention on Golo Kante that the new contract is really close. It's not done yet, but it's close. They have to decide about the length of the contract. This is quite surprising because in November, December, it was really unlikely. Uh, then what changed is that the player really wants to stay. Kante wants to continue Chelsea. He loves Chelsea. He wants to stay there. And so the negotiation is very advanced now. Let's see when they will find uh, a complete agreement on, on Golo Kante new deal. And for Chelsea, keep an eye on the future, as always, because they are closing in on a deal to sign a boy born in 2007, so very young <laughs> player. He will be able to, to join European football when he will turn 18, of course. But it's called Kendry Paez, Ecuadorian talent. They guarantee that he's going to be a super talent. And Chelsea are going to pay a very big fee for this guy. Yeah? It's not 2 or 3 million euros. It's more than 10 million euros for Kendry uh-huh. Paez. Again, born in 2007, midfielder, playing for Independiente del Valle. Many clubs wanted him around Europe, including Bayern. Leverkusen and English clubs but he is going to Chelsea 
Wow. Thank you very much for sharing that, Fabrizio. We appreciate you. We have Fabrizio Romano on the House of Champions. We're just following along live with the Europa League draw. Onion Berlin, St. Gilles, Sevilla against Fenerbahce, Juventus against Freiburg. What a great game that is. Leverkusen against Ferenc Varos, Sporting Lisbon against Arsenal. And then I didn't even see who the final four were. James, maybe you can catch us up in just a moment. Fabrizio, yes, last question, real quickly. Go on, James. You want to you wanna update? No, right no, now, no, 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 no. Limited time with Fab, not limited time with me. Okay, last question is about Napoli here. Because of their success, obviously, Fabrizio, we see Napoli now being mentioned as a potential to lift the Champions League. And um, obviously, domestic success is almost guaranteed now because of their yes. gap that they have. What about the stars? I have many a debate with so many people out there about how difficult it is for clubs like Napoli to keep a hold of their biggest stars when you have success. Let's talk about Osimhen. We know, obviously, he's the goal scorer for them right now. We know what Kvara is doing right now, Kvaraskelia. I mean, they didn't pay a lot of money for him. I can't even begin to imagine some of the offers that will come in for him. And another player that stood out to me, he was sensational in midweek, is Kim. Kim is brilliant on that back line absolutely brilliant everything he's doing so how difficult is it for napoli in general to keep a hold of these superstars when they're having this success it's very difficult it's very difficult because of course uh, these players dream maybe of different leagues it's not just about napoli but maybe they dream of i don't know premier league la liga that kind of level so it's really it's really complicated in all the cases you mentioned for oziman and kvarskelia uh, napoli of course will try their best to keep the players it's not gonna be easy but they will try their best the real problem is kim because, as you mentioned, Kim is doing fantastic and there is a release clause into his contract with Napoli. His release clause that I'm told is a bit less than 50 million euros and I think the player is definitely worth way more than this. So they are trying to extend this contract, they are trying, they are trying to negotiate to offer him a new deal, but of course it's not easy also at this point of the season to negotiate with players because maybe they want to wait for the end of the season. So let's see how the conversation will go, but for Kim it's normal to have a lot of interest as there is this release clause into his contract and so it's a dangerous situation, one to follow for sure for uh, for the summer and for Osimhen and Kvaraskelia we will see but uh, I'm sure Napoli will try to fight also honestly how difficult it is for a journalist to do our job with Napoli now because you know yeah. it's an historical season for them really historical because it's like more than 30 years they don't win the Scudetto the Serie A title and also in Champions League they're doing fantastic and so in this moment Napoli don't want to comment on anything on transfers or new contracts or new signings or players to leave they don't want to comment they are 100% isolated they want to focus on the second part of the season and I think yeah. all the conversation will start like second part of May uh, beginning of June so it's not easy in this moment to update but for sure the most dangerous situation is Kim the one other thing to add to that as well and Fab will know this better than anyone is if you're trying to buy a player from Aurelio De Laurentiis is a little bit like pulling your own teeth out it is Very agony. Good. I mean, we know that I mean, Koulibaly was was being linked with um, Chelsea for a pay. I mean, I remember talking to De Laurentiis about Koulibaly <laughs> five years before he joined Chelsea. And in all that time, Napoli were like, yeah, there's a, you know, there's a price tag here, but if you don't pay it, we won't sell. So um, a lot of clubs, I'm sure, uh, will want Ossiman and want Kratzgelia, uh, and they will find it really hard to, to, to <laughs> negotiate with De Laurentiis. I agree with you. Uh, also, Zielinski was linked to many yeah. top clubs like Liverpool for many years, but then Napoli won that money. If you don't pay, the player stays. So I agree with you. It's not going to be easy at all. All right, we have to let Fabrizio go, but before we do, Aaron's jumped in with a comment right here. Talking about Saka getting a new contract, we all know that Arsenal is targeting Declan Rice, but would they also move for a backup for Saka and a left-back if Tierney moves to another club? And that's also a great question about Tierney. What could potentially be his destination if he does leave Arsenal? Looks like... I think... I think he could leave. I think he could leave. Let's see where. Uh, the moment is still too early to mention some clubs. For sure, we have interest from Newcastle because they're looking for a player in that position. But at the moment, it's not something concrete or, or advanced. And also for Arsenal, I think, yes. Uh, I think they have to decide also on the situation of Bruno Tavares, who is doing great with Marseille on loan. And I'm not so sure that he's going to leave Arsenal at the end of the season. Maybe he could have a chance because he's a very good player. He's doing great with uh, Olympic Marseille. So let's see for that for that position and for Declan Rice, as we always mentioned here also with James, there is strong interest uh, from Arsenal. They really like the player. I'm sure he will be in the list for summer transfer window. 
as of now, it's too early to say about uh, the price tag. The negotiation with West Ham is really too early. The negotiation is not going to take place in February or March, but for sure he's a player they appreciate. So I would not be surprised if they go for Declan Rice in the summer, and I'm sure that Arsenal will have a really, really important summer. But now I expect them to be kind of isolated on new signings. As for Napoli, we mentioned Napoli. I think it could be the same for Arsenal. They want to focus on the Premier League. It's time to leave the dream, and same with Europa League. And then we will see what happens in the summer. Fabrizio, we let you go with a nice little tag here. Tobago CFC, he says, I love you, Fab. From a Chelsea fan, you. you are one of the best journalists. And I think that was out of appreciation for all the great work that you do. If you're not following Fabrizio across the social media platforms, make sure you go do it. Get the latest and greatest news from the transfer window. Also, a great football mind. Fabrizio, Thank we you. have a couple of draws here. Uh, Roma against Real Sociedad, real quickly. And Juventus against Freiburg. What's your initial thoughts there in Europa League draw? Not easy, not easy for Roma at all. I think Juventus will go through, but for Roma, not an easy one at all. But very nice game. I think it will be a good one. And Dybala is a great shape, so I hope they will do it, but it's not going to be easy. Fab, go and enjoy your weekend, man. Thank you for everything you do. We appreciate you, buddy. Thank you, guys. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you to Mauricio Romano yes, for joining us here on House of Champions. We say goodbye to him. We're going to invite in Jonathan Johnson to the show right now. James Bench, we're going to react with JJ to the Europa League draw. But first and foremost, let's say good morning to JJ. How are you doing? Is it still morning where you are, JJ? Hey there, guys. Good morning, indeed. Well, it's just past midday, and as you can see from my hairstyle, I definitely woke up like this. A rude awakening for me in France after the Ligue 1. Uh, well, I was going to say uh, an expletive word there, but uh, yeah, it was not good from the French teams on the continental stage, unfortunately. But I, it, on the on the bright side, you did at least uh, miss uh, Ian, Ian Joy massacring the name of uh, Union Saint-Gilloire. Which was oh, uh, was so, oh I, oh, I do apologize. San Gillis, I think, something like that. Shh. I'm, I'm just amazed that you didn't what? take the cup out of Union SG. I mean, it's a Union derby. What Listen, couldn't I'm be lying about it? I'm trying to keep myself quiet here because I'm frightened of waking the kids up. I'm at the home studio, obviously, right now. It is also 6.28 in the morning. So the less BS I get from Jim's bench, possibly the best for me. Uh, just a quick update oh, on speaking, the... Speaking of best, you need to get the best by guys back to soundproof your studio by the sounds of it. Oh, come on, please, please. This <laughs> early in the morning. There's nobody around here, so it's hollow walls, you know. Uh, real quickly, here's the draw. Uh, we have Shakhtar Donetsk against Feyenoord. We have Roma against Real Sociedad. Manchester United against Betis. Sporting against Arsenal. Really looking forward to hearing what James has got to say about that one. Leverkusen against Ferenc Varas. Juventus against Freiburg. Sevilla against Fenerbahce. Union against Union. How about that, James? Will I just stick with that one? James, let's get your opinion no, no. first and foremost here. Arsenal's draw in particular. And uh, let us know what you think about United's draw as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the the two English ones, along with Roma, Real Sociedad, kind of stand out to me as like the the best uh, the best tests. And I'm really looking forward to this. We know that Sporting in the Champions League gave Tottenham all sorts of difficulties. I think they they certainly won at home. I can't quite remember what the other result was at White Hart, uh, not White Hart Lane, the new White Hart Lane. Um, but that's going to be a really tough one. You've got players like Marcus Edwards coming back with a point to prove. And Sporting are riding really high. You know, they've got good results against two teams that we've seen in the Champions League, Porto and Benfica, are not to be taken lightly. I mean, the fascinating thing with Arsenal in particular, you know, the, the Europa League has always been a means to an end of Champions League football. But it does it does matter to Arsenal, a team with very limited European heritage, considering the, the size of the club, that they win big competitions. And I, I'm certain Mikel Arteta would love to win the Europa League. But equally... You know, if you look at what would happen if they got through this, their April would involve games every three days. They'd be playing Liverpool at the start of the month, West Ham away, Southampton when they're trying to turn around their season, and Manchester City. I don't know if you're really that desperate to uh, to get that far into this competition if it could hinder your Premier League title challenge. I think that all depends on player fitness. That Man United tie as well, that's a cracker. We know that Betis, and, and Jonathan, you've written, I know a lot about Betis over the last few years, they are going to be a tough out in this competition. Um, they are a team that relishes European competition. And equally for United, a lot could change, couldn't it? And the question is, are they still in the title race by the time these games roll around? And, and does Ten Hag decide he wants to prioritise this competition or, or keeping in touch with Arsenal and Man City? Because even more so than Arsenal, I would question whether United have the depth for both a title run and a deep Europa League uh, commitment. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it is it, it is fascinating, this one. I mean, I think James uh, is, is just trying to keep his emotions in check, you know, having Arsenal in the Hankook uh, up against a, a sexy team like Sporting. Uh, you know, it is... <laughs> there are. I mean, to be honest, it, it's one of those weird ones where we've kind of been spared the heavyweight clashes, but there's some really, really intriguing ties there. I mean, seeing the two union teams go up against each other, that basically guarantees in itself a surprise package will be going to the quarterfinals or at least a team that not that many people tuning into the Europa League are familiar with. Juve against Freiburg, you know, that is two completely different ideologies, which I find fascinating. Roma, that is a really, really tough tie against Sociedad. I mean, I think it's been quite kind to Leverkusen, with all due respect to Fernand Valos, uh, you know, given the the drama that they produced against Monaco uh, over their two legs. Sevilla against Fenerbahce, I mean, that's going to be a good test of Sevilla's kind of serial winning credentials at this level. Uh, and then Shakhtar against Feyenoord, you know, Shakhtar holding their nerve against Rennes and their reward uh, is, you know, coming up against a very storied uh, European side in, uh, in Feyenoord. So plenty of pedigree in these games and lots to look forward to, but equally, I wouldn't say that there's necessarily a standout time. I mean, obviously the eyes are immediately drawn to the likes of Arsenal and United uh, and Juve as well. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that there's necessarily a heavyweight clash like we saw between United and Barca. Uh, great stuff. Listen, uh, we're going to deep dive into the Europa League fixtures that have just been drawn a little bit later on in the show. Before we do so, I want to also have a quick preview, a whip around of what's happening across Europe domestically this uh, weekend. There are some unbelievable games to look forward to, and we look forward to discussing them with you right here on House of Champions. But stick around, we're going to take a quick break. When we do return, House of Champions will be right back with a preview next. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Don't miss a second of the action from the greatest club competition on earth, the Champions League. Follow the biggest stars from the world of soccer like Lionel Messi, Karim Benzema, Victor Osimhen, and Erling Haaland as they try to clinch the most prestigious prize in the beautiful game. All of your soccer needs from the Champions League to Europa League to Serie A to NWSL and so much more is available to you on Paramount+. Plus. You can try one month for free if you'd like using the code ADVANCE. Welcome back to House of Champions, everybody. Ian Joy with James Benj and Jonathan Johnson. Uh, we are about to react to Europa League draw that has just taken place. But before we do so, I want to have a quick whip around with you guys, if it's okay, about what is happening around the domestic leagues this weekend. There are so many games to look forward to. Wow. Let's start with an EFL Cup final. Manchester United against Newcastle. Quick thought from both of you, James. I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, this is really all about <laughs> Loris Carrius. Newcastle fans have waited so long for that, you know, that shot at, at Silverware and even longer to actually win it. I remember those teams of the late 90s playing in the FA Cup final and getting rolled over by whoever was the Premier League champion that year. And you think, gosh, they've got, you know, they've got this brilliant defence with uh, Nick Pope as a, a sweeper keeper and top tist, shot stopper. And just that moment of madness handling the ball against Liverpool could change everything. I mean, he is so, Pope is so foundational to the way Newcastle play. And of course, Martin Dubravka, who would be the other number two, he only gets his medal if Manchester United win the competition because he was on loan at Man United and the only time he ever featured was in the EFL Cup. So I have to say, I think this is all setting up for the Loris Carrius redemption moment for Newcastle to finally get that trophy some of their fans have been waiting their whole lifetime for. I mean, on our running order, it has the question, who needs his title more? It's Newcastle. They, they're they just begging for a title. And, and you know, we're all, we're all neutral here on House of Champions, but by God, I hope they get it. 
<laughs> you know what? You say that we're all neutral, but I have extremely bitter memories of going to Wembley as a Villa fan coming up against Manchester United, watching United clinch yet another League Cup title yeah, and it exactly. not meaning anything to the supporters pouring out of the stadium before the trophy lift. So I'm definitely team Newcastle for this one. And I think, it, you know, it's going to be fascinating as well. I mean, James spoke brilliantly about the the redemption arc that you've got going on with Carrius, uh, you know, but also, I mean, what this does in terms of the Newcastle project. I mean, look at where they've come from sort of a year ago, battling against relegation to now sort of being in the shakeup for Europe and then suddenly potentially adding some silverware, uh, you know, to the cabinet very, very early on uh, in their new project. So, uh, you know, I think that that really will, uh, you know, put them on the map if they're not already on the map. I mean, of course they are, we know they are, but uh, you know what I mean, like in terms of actually like bringing that tangible success very early on in the Saudi project. So I, you know, I think this one is an absolutely fascinating one. And something that makes it even more interesting is that normally, or, you know, go back a couple of months, I'd have really fancied Newcastle for this one but suddenly United are starting to look like the United of old and that's not necessarily a good thing for Newcastle coming into a cup final yeah no doubt about it and it is a cup final at the end of the day it's a chance to lift silverware which I think to Ten Hag also means a lot right I mean the way he's performing with his club right now it is fun to watch Um, but for Newcastle fans and their new ownership of course they're desperate to lift that silverware so this really would be a great ending for it would be a great story really for both sides of the story here Um, I know you guys maybe are leaning towards the Newcastle side but I am absolutely not so I hope Manchester United get their hands on this trophy Letitia jumping in and saying maybe Carrius will have a new kickstart for the rest of his career Nice comment coming in there. And you just saw Matt's comment saying, I hope that Carrius has a great final. I would love to see him get some sort of redemption. James, if I'm not mistaken, Chelsea Tottenham is on Sunday just before the cup final, if I'm not mistaken. That's another banger of a game between two teams that I'm I'm still trying to figure out, you know, what's actually going on in their season. Not great in Europe in the first legs, obviously. Um, but this is setting up to be a very interesting affair. Um, let me get a prediction from you and how you think this game is actually going to play out. I'm going to, I write my column, it's called Bold Predictions. So let's go real bold with this one. I think Chelsea are going to score. That's uh, <laughs> that's a, that's as bold as I think as you can be in European football right now. Like, if you set aside the Southampton, I think there are real question marks to be asked about Graham Potter and why, when he actually had a team that played well against Borussia Dortmund, he sort of decided to rip up the whole formula uh, and bring you know rotate and not really treat Southampton I think with the respect that was deserved but like it is slowly grinding into gear um this Chelsea attack it, it's getting a little bit better Joao Felix looks so strong um the Re- Enzo Fernandez is just looks decent there's still a lot of work I feel like needs to be done but I think to an extent it's it's really just been like some bad shooting some bad luck and we know that tends to correct itself Will that like be enough to beat Tottenham? I don't know because, I mean, Tottenham are almost as unknowable as Chelsea as well. Uh, so I'm, all I'm going to do is stick my head above the parapet and say uh, Chelsea score. Tottenham are so unreliable that let's say it's a, a draw, a scoring draw. Imagine such. <laughs> Yeah, it amused me that Ian said, uh, you, you know, these are these are two sides still working each other out. I mean, it definitely feels like, you know, Potter and, uh, uh, well, I would say Conte, but obviously Conte won't be there this weekend, you know, uh, are still trying to work themselves out and, and you know, figure out exactly who their best, uh, you know, teams are, especially after the, the transfer window uh, closed. But for me, I think I find that Spurs play better when Conte isn't there. They've gotten, you know, results against the likes of Man City. So, you know, could this be one where they maybe, uh, you know, pull off an unexpected good result? Maybe, but uh, I I agree with James. You know, uh, it was a bit weird to see Potter tinkering again after what was a fairly encouraging uh, display. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go for Tottenham to, to shade this one. I don't know if James is going for Tottenham. Chelsea did definitely score. I can see this maybe finishing 1-1 one, one or 2-1 to Spurs. James is gone for I need, three, I need three, Chelsea to stay where they <laughs> yeah, are so Villa can overtake them. <laughs> All right, we're whipping around Europe's games right now. Uh, there's a lot to go through, so we're going really quickly here. Let's turn our attention to the Madrid derby here. It's Real Madrid against Atleti. JJ, I'll come to you first on this one here. Um, what can we expect from this game? Real Madrid obviously coming off the back of that emphatic victory at Anfield. Atleti had a good win last weekend. Um, great goal from Griezmann, by the way. I don't know if you caught it. Um, but Atleti's record in La Liga away from home at Bernabeu is not good. They haven't scored goals. And I think it's what the last four that they haven't scored 
in uh, the Madrid derby in La Liga in uh, Bernabeu. So what can we expect from this game? Do we see a tired Real Madrid? Do we see a Real Madrid rotate? Do we see Atleti get a victory? Do we see Atleti get a goal? Yeah, all good questions. Uh, I do think that there will be an element of coming back down to earth after that unexpected, uh, you know, thrashing of uh, of Liverpool at Anfield. Really, it's certainly at least in terms of the score. Um, you know, it's it's a strange one. It's a strange one to to judge because you know we're always looking at this Real Madrid side, saying you know surely you know the this has to be the last of the summer wine, and then they somehow find just a little bit extra and bring out you know some of these unbelievable results. Um, you know, in many ways, I think maybe the Real result at Anfield was a little deceptive, certainly in terms of, uh, you know, sort of how many goals were scored and some of the awful defending that was on show. But I don't think that Atleti are necessarily the team that are, are going to show Real up. I think it's more, uh, you know, a bit of a, a continental hangover for Real Madrid. So I can see this one being a draw. I don't think Atleti will have enough to get the win, but I don't think that Real will necessarily have that much left in the tank after that Liverpool victory. So I'm going to go score draw say 1-1 I do agree with an awful lot of what what JJ said the one thing that intrigues me about Atleti a lot of 1-0 wins of late which no one's really been paying attention to because why on earth would you watch Atletico Madrid win 1-0 um, but the, you know maybe they are getting back to that sort of grindy difficult to play frustrating team but that was always a team that sort of froze in the headlights against against Madrid Um it's a really tough one to call. I thought that team was wonderful in that second half. They absolutely demolished Liverpool and would have demolished much better teams than yeah. Liverpool. For that reason, I, I still sort of shade towards Real Madrid, maybe picking up a sort of 2-1 win. But uh, it looks like at long last Atleti are back to a, a level where they can just grind their way. I see producer Des just says, actually, it's just Oblak, <laughs> Griezmann and, and nine passengers. But... That's two two pretty good players to build your team around. So, but I'll still go Madrid to shade at two one. Oh, really interesting on that one right there. Um, I was that sad person who was sitting watching Atletico Madrid desperate for a goal in that game. Sorry, James, that was me, the one viewer <laughs> that was watching along. Um, real quickly, I'll touch upon the old form. It's Rangers against Celtic in the League Cup final. Um, JJ, I want a little quick thought from you and a prediction as well. But I will say this, though. I, I have a feeling with the, both of these teams in great form, they've both won their last nine games. Obviously, it's not difficult, Scottish League, domestically, for, for Rangers and Celtic to have success. So really, the big tie is when they come together and they face each other in a cup final or if it's in an old firm game in the league um but i've got a feeling jj that celtic will have remembered what happened in the scottish cup final back in april where rangers ran away with the trophy and Ange postacoglu i'm a big fan of him he'll be desperate to obviously lift another trophy and to continue this fine run that he's got going at celtic really impressive form from both teams very difficult to pick a winner but i shade celtic here just slightly that they can get the job done jj yeah, I mean, uh, it's the kind of thing that, you know, Postacoglu would really look to to try and rally around and, uh, you know, motivate his troops with. I mean, you know, I think we all hope for the same thing when uh, Rangers and Celtic come together. And that's, you know, a lot of blood and thunder, you know, a really fully committed clash between, uh, you know, two very bitter rivals. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I do think that, you know, it, it slightly favours, uh, you know, Celtic. I think since Postacoglu has come in overall, uh, sort of the balance of power has slightly tipped towards the hoops uh but uh you know this is one that i i certainly think and expect will be uh you know a tense tight emotional affair you know perhaps decided by a moment of magic but if i was to stick my neck out and pick one of the one of the two teams to win i'd probably be favoring celtic james yeah i mean the odds just sort of give you a real sense there of, of who is the superior team and i mean just look at how many goals they've scored 82 and 26 means they are averaging more than three goals a game. And I know it's a Scottish premiership and there's some teams down there that don't give them much competition. But Ange Postacoglu is is clearly a fantastic manager who's got an awful lot out of this squad of players. And although it's always a bold move to uh, to back the away team in an old firm game, I, I have a feeling that, that that Celtic might might shade this one as well. We have to say that Bill's doing a pretty good job at Rangers. And yeah, he realistically, is. not an easy challenge to take over Van, Van Bronckhorst and Steven Gerrard, obviously a bit of a mess at Rangers, but the, he's managed to steady the ship pretty well. And over the last nine games, as I pointed out, between both clubs who have won those last nine games, Rangers have scored 21 in those nines and Celtic have scored 31 goals. Watch out for Kyogo Furuhashi, the striker that Celtic have right now. I don't know if both of you have caught him much, mm -hmm. but wow, he's well, finally fit. 
he's very very good player and and finally really scoring goals on a consistent basis um if it's okay with both of you before we get to france i'd like to touch on what's happening in germany this weekend it's bayern munich against union berlin it is first against well third many would say second they're all equal on points the top three is dortmund union berlin and bayern munich all equal on 43 points um jj real quickly bayern munich i have no idea what to expect from them i still i still Still don't see it. I still think there's a problem with Nagelsmann and the higher-ups at the club. They have the squad to run away with the Bundesliga, but they're not. Can Union Berlin do something this weekend? Although, it's a big ask after playing on Thursday. Yeah, but write them off at, uh, at your peril. I mean, honestly, the, the the story for Union Berlin at this moment in time is one of those really feel-good stories, uh, you know, that everybody is is starting to enjoy across Europe. Uh, you know, fingers crossed that it continues this fantastic journey that they're on, you know, knocking out uh, the likes of a, a European giant in, uh, in Ajax. And really coming into this one, they have absolutely nothing to lose. And yes, you know, Bayern have the squad to, to run away with the Bundesliga, I saw them against PSG and although, you know, they weren't, I, I wouldn't say that they were poor. I'd say that there were vulnerabilities that PSG could have better exposed. Who knows if we'll see that in the second leg uh, in the Champions League. But for me, I think that Bayern always looked like there's a chink in the armor at the moment. And perhaps that's what you're alluding to, uh, you know, with this situation with Nagelsmann and, and why he's not entirely convincing so far with Bayern. Uh, and I think that that will remain to be the case. So, Maybe I wouldn't go for uh, Union Berlin to get the win here, but a draw, you know, I don't think it, it, it strikes me as that unrealistic, really. I got nothing on this. I don't know why you're looking. I just, I mean, I wonder how tired Union Berlin will be, basically. It's going to be, a, it was a gr- grinding game against Ajax, wasn't it? They had some ups and downs, whereas Bayern... They're, they're still going to be on the champagne going into this game. Their training yeah. session will be, uh, you know... You can blame them. You're surely not on the champagne in Berlin. Well, maybe in Berlin, actually. I mean, Ian, you know better than me. Are they be champagne or the lagers? Oh, the beer's all around in Berlin. Beer's all around. They'll be popping those big two-liter bottle beers that they got flying around in Berlin. Um, this one's a tough one for me to predict here, um, but I have to give it to Bayern because of this uh, short break that Union Berlin have. I mean, Bayern Munich have been able to prepare for this all week, um, get players back healthy. I have no idea what kind of performance. I really don't with Bayern. They're so difficult to read right now, but this is probably the perfect scenario for them. They're back in a title race. Sure, of course, they're favorites to win it, um, but to show to the rest of the Bundesliga, who's talking about Union Berlin right now. I mean, the whole of the German media this morning is talking about Union Berlin being the team in Germany where everyone should be watching. And Bayern had a great win in their first leg in Paris. And uh, people have seemed to forget that. So I feel like it's a point for Bayern to just prove to everybody, hey, hey, we're still king of Germany. So I've got a feeling this could be a tough, tough day for Union Berlin. I think Bayern are going to win it heavily um, at the end of the day. Uh, Last one before we turn our attention back to Europa League and then get the hell out of here. JJ, I got to come to you. This is uh, what a banger of a game this is. Marseille against PSG. Obviously, we know what happened to them in the cup recently. Paris Saint-Germain, maybe you can um, just remind everybody what happened there. But PSG, what's the, the injury latest on Neymar and other players? What do you expect from PSG? Who would be your favorite? And then also give me your score prediction, please. All right, I'll try and be as concise as possible. It's uh, it's going to be pretty uh, pretty tough. But no, I mean, there's so much to like about this game. Marseille in really great form at the moment. Beat PSG for the first time in 11 years recently in the in the Coupe de France game at home. So Stade Velodrome, uh, you know, will be absolutely boiling uh, as you'd expect for a, for a game like this. Uh, and you know, PSG really under the cosh uh, after losing that first leg against Bayern. Some disappointing results recently. Clearly, the pressure is on when you've got Luis Campos coming down to the touchline to bark orders at players during that dramatic <laughs> late win over Lille. Uh, you know, fantastically in our Messi free kick, but let's not kid ourselves, you know, killing Mbappe being back and able to play 90 minutes again is huge for PSG's season. Will it be enough to get a result, uh, you know, in a, in a game like this? I'm not so sure, but one thing is absolutely certain PSG cannot afford to lose twice in a row in Marseille. So, I reckon that PSG will get at least the draw. Uh, I'm not necessarily prepared to stick my neck out and say they'll do any better. Um, but it's not been ideal preparation for PSG for this one either. Christophe Galtier has been ill coming into this. You've got Neymar ruled out at least until the beginning of next week with some uh, ankle ligament damage. So not looking too good there. Nuno Mendes expected to miss out as well. He'll be 
uh, you know, quite a quite a big blow. But I think uh, you know having guys like Kimpembe and Mbappe coming back that adds a, a bit of metal, a bit of mental strength uh, to this PSG side, and they will not, uh, you know, want to to tolerate uh, you know Marseille winning. Uh, consecutive games against PSG uh, in any circumstances. So let's see. Let's see what happens. Uh, you know, Messi certainly needs to get more involved than he was against Lille last time out. But this Marseille team, very difficult to come up against. Five point gap between the two coming into this one. Can Marseille cut it? We will have to wait and see. James, I can't believe you were so eager to talk about this game coming into this. And I mean, realistically, I've got to give you the microphone here about this game. I mean, share those wonderful thoughts that you had about this game, James. Come on. I have like zero. You know, you know, myself and Nigel Rio Coca, we come on here and we tell you we just want to see what PSG do in the Champions League. And we've seen that. And just I want a count of you to everyone that sort of says, and Thierry Henry, remember in our interview, he came on and said this, didn't he? He said, yeah. They've got Mbappe. How maddening is it that is sort of you kind of as much as I, I agree with him and he made the point so well, you just kind of want to shake people when they say this and go, they also have Neymar and Messi. And how is it that their their, their fortunes can be so reliant on this kid? I mean, you know, they also have a lot of very expensive players further back in the pitch. Um I, I just one very quick question to JJ. You know, we talk a lot about Neymar and it feels like the writing is is on the wall and that if anyone wanted to come in and have a conversation with PSG about Neymar leaving, that, that, that would, they would be welcome with open arms. The champagne would definitely be out uh, there, <laughs> but is it, is there a sort of acceptance within PSG that like, yeah, that's not going to happen. The, 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 the big clubs don't, will not want Neymar. And is there any idea where he might actually go next? Is he going to follow, for instance, Ronaldo out to the Middle East? And it's a really good question, uh, you know, and I think it is obviously a, a situation that's quite frustrating uh, inside of PSG because there was a willingness and openness last summer to to speak to any clubs that might be interested in Neymar. But who would have been interested at that at that point? The most frustrating thing for PSG was clubs would have been interested in the Neymar we saw in the first half of the season pre World Cup when he was focused, yep. when he was motivated, performing mm -hmm. really well. Do they want the the sulky loafing Neymar who keeps getting injured since the World Cup? No, they don't. So, you know, I don't think anyone is seriously going to come to the table and say they want to negotiate for Neymar at this moment in time. So it looks like PSG and Neymar will be stuck together, uh, you know, at least sort of into next season, unless, uh, you know, there is some sort of incredible unexpected second wind uh, over the remainder of this season. But we don't even know yet how long he's going to be out with that injury. You'd have to assume he's a doubt going into that second leg against Bayern for the moment. We'll see if that changes in the next week or so. But uh, you know, Neymar is, it's just, uh, it, it's so frustrating, uh, you know, and Galtier himself has spoken publicly. I see we've got a, a question there uh, on the real importance of Galtier with the squad. Galtier struck up a really good understanding with this PSG squad in the first half of the season. They were playing in a recognized fashion, getting the best out of some of these guys like Neymar. And then suddenly, uh, you know, logically also because of the World Cup and the, the impact that, that fatigue has, they've struggled to, to get it together in the second half of the season. However, it doesn't help Galtier when you've got Neymar, you know, going and playing poker and then going on a McDonald's binge, uh, you know, and you have... Kylian Mbappe coming out speaking publicly, almost like challenging Neymar to show the best of himself, which again, adding to this sense of frustration he did against Lille, got a goal, got an assist, then also got injured and stretched it off. It's just honestly, it's, you know, Neymar with PSG is this story of frustration wrapped in more frustration moments, very fleeting moments of brilliance, and then lots and lots of laziness, poor attitude, uh, and just, you know, general can't be arsonist really what a great answer jj that was absolutely fabulous i mean that was brilliant i hope uh, our producer des cuts that and puts that out as a short because that was awesome and i'm just seeing i don't know if the french have a word for can't be arsonist yet but uh they probably just <laughs> they probably <laughs> summarize it as, as buff or something like that yeah isn't that just being french <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's bad. That's it, not... it, it would be all in the facial expression that's for sure
I've just imagined the videos as you're um, talking about Neymar there, all the different videos that our dads and pictures can put up surrounding the chat there with uh, Neymar's crazy, crazy movie that is his life. Uh, Producer Tez, if you can throw the fixtures back up for Europa League. Guys, we don't need to go into deep detail of the games that are coming up, obviously, in Europa League. There is the draw for everybody to feast their eyes on. JJ, real quickly, I want to talk to you. Real qu- it was poor from the French teams, real estate. I watched the Monaco game against Leverkusen yesterday, and uh, Monaco were not at their best. No Nowhere near it. Goalkeeping errors as well. Alex Nubo, um, for me, overrated. He was awful on a couple of the goals. The first one in particular was dreadful, and he was trying to blame other people. Um, but not a good day for Ren either. And I feel sorry for the youngster who was in tears after that game as well. Quick thoughts. Yeah, I mean, there's, there is something really crazy about the way that Ren went out. Cast our minds back to the qualifying rounds of the Champions League a couple of years ago when Monaco came up against Shakhtar. How did Monaco go out? It was a wild deflection off of Ruben Aguiar. And then suddenly, Ren, uh, you know, allows Shakhtar back into a game that they were pretty much seeing out with minutes remaining before the eventual penalty shootout through another wild deflection. Sure, uh, you know, lots of reasons to to, to sort of favour Shakhtar with a, with a little bit of fortune and the rub of the green, but, you know, very unfortunate for the French sides. Disappointing. I don't think anyone realistically thought that Nantes would go and beat Juve, but to get blown out the way they did through a Di Maria masterclass, it's difficult to argue against. But sure, Monaco given the ease with which they were scoring against Leverkusen, a good Leverkusen side with, with Vietz back. I know that he's a James Bench favorite. Um, You know, I I don't think, um, you know, you can really, I don't think you can take the first leg lead in the way that they did and then give it away so spectacularly, Uh, you know, especially a team like Monaco, which really is built to at least compete in the champions league. Ren, yes, it was unfortunate and very, very annoying for French football, but overall it's not a good place for, for Ligue 1 to be right now. And they are looking over their shoulders very nervously at the Dutch clubs, at the Portuguese clubs, and they will be hoping that PSG can pull off some kind of miracle against Bayern and make a deep run because otherwise those co Efficient points are going to take another big hit, and there's not much time left for France to remain, uh, you know, one of the top five teams, uh, top five leagues in Europe, uh, you know, which would be disastrous ahead of the new, uh, the you know, the the new uh, changes to the structure. Uh, James, when you look at this draw here, where do you see the biggest upset or the biggest shock potentially happening from this draw? That is a really good question, and I think you do probably have to conclude it's. It's one of the two English teams that may end up being guilty of, of not taking it seriously. It is a criticism you have, isn't it, with English teams often in the Europa League. I mean, it, it has to be said that's sort of changed. We've had United in the final. West Ham have had a deep run. Arsenal reached the semifinals as well. But I think both of them will have their eyes on other prizes. Aside from that, I mean, I, I think you look at it and you kind of trust a, a Sevilla. I, I have to say, you know more Ian than I do about Freiburg, but Juventus are a team that I don't trust with with anything at the moment, and it will take a long while before I before I change my mind. I have to be very careful how you phrase that, don't you? Um, I mean, the only you wouldn't trust them with your pocket money, would you? They certainly wouldn't. Well, no, maybe. I mean, they would spend it, wouldn't they? And then they'd say they haven't. Um, I mean, obviously, for me, the tie of the round really is. Uh, is Roma Real Sociedad. It's the one to watch. I don't know if there is an upset there because you've got, I can't remember where Roma are in Serie A, but they're, they're a top Serie A team taking on the third best team in La Liga. So third against third um, in both those competitions. That's the tie of the round. I think if I was picking one where the upset might be, um, I think Arsenal may well end up struggling in that first leg away uh, to sporting or uh, and struggling and needing to throw on the cavalry and it all not being enough. So, yeah, I would say picking my upset, I would pick Sporting to knock out Arsenal. JJ, before we get to you, um, I will say this about Freiburg. They have a great coach in Christian uh, Streich, who is a, a very outspoken individual. I look forward to watching him on the sidelines against Allegri. And I hope that the German teams do well. Where's your surprise coming from, JJ? 
Uh, I'm going to go for Sociedad to knock rare, uh, Roma out. I'm not sure that will necessarily qualify as a surprise, but uh, you know, I think many people will probably look at the two names and perhaps just shade Roma on that one. Uh, I had a great chat actually with a couple of uh, people in the in the setup at Sociedad, so perfect time to plug the the pieces that will be coming your way in the next couple of weeks about Sociedad. But really, it's it, it's fantastic, uh, you know, and so so intriguing as well uh, in terms of a club because when people think of the Basque country, they always think athletic club but they don't realize what a good job and what an interesting project Sociedad have been putting together the last couple of years so I really think and not just because of the the timing of the interview that, that Sociedad will be very very difficult for Roma over two legs and for me I'm just gonna go for the the Spaniards to to edge that one Excellent stuff, boys. Uh, longer than normal House of Champions today. I appreciate both of you. James Bench, thank you for your great work this week. Jonathan Johnson, you also. Great stuff as well on the website. If you guys haven't gone and checked it out yet, get to the website, cbsports.com. Search for Jonathan Johnson. Search for James Bench. The articles are ringing out as fast as you can read. So make sure you get over there and also follow them on their social media platforms as best as possible because the breaking and latest, the greatest news is quickerly and certainly more quicker found on their social media platforms but uh great boys great week awesome stuff thank you as always great stuff with the draw as well today apologies i woke you up that early oh no wait it's not that early for you i might actually go back to bed we are back again on Monday. Early for us you just get up <laughs> don't, don't you have don't you have some oranges or grapefruits to squeeze so your kids have fruit juice this morning yeah my kids haven't even woken up yet they're still asleep right now i've got to go back now be a bit more quieter uh listen we're back on monday with fabrizio and the boys uh make sure you all tune in there thank you so much for listening to how the champions please make sure you take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform we're available on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher and anywhere else you get your podcasts also available as videos so subscribe to us on youtube boys have a fantastic weekend wherever you're going whatever you're watching enjoy the weekend we'll see you all again next week thanks everybody Sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho college murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Hashtag Cyber Sleuths. The Idaho Murders. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.